Guys, good morning. It's wonderful to be here. But I want to pray before we start, not for your sake, for my sake. Because I need God. I Actually, when I started the preparing, I knew that there was going to be, the kids is going to be with us in church. And so, saying, Lord, I want, we need to do whatever we need to do. We need to do it just, let's, just as short as possible to honor the parents and the children as well. Because I know the parents sit there and say, just mark Clyde, you can mark my mom. But I want to just pray for my sake. Because if God doesn't show up, this preach is useless. And it's just time wasted. So Father, this morning, as I stand before you, Lord, I desire to hear you as you speak, Lord. It's not about me. It's not about anything else. It's about you and you alone being glorified in all that we do. So I pray, Holy Spirit, just come, Lord. Come, Lord. Saturate us in your presence, O oh God. Our desire is you and nothing more. So God, here am I. Speak, O oh God. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so I just wanted to, before I start, and I'm not sure where I should stand, echo you guys at the back will show me where I'm wrong or right. Um, I want to do a shout out to the people that makes this meeting possible. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege of putting together for, for the visitors, we've got older folks, and then we've got old folks. So the older folks of 60 and above, we just did a breakfast for, for for us, all the folks. And I was amazed to see the amount of resources of people that I had to use to make the meeting possible. So we were roughly 23, 25 people in our first, what we called scene-agers, because we are teenagers that are just more senior. So the scene-agers got together. And we were about 25, well, let's call it 25 people, make it a round number. But I actually said thank you to everybody by name. And I know I left out one or two people. They weren't there, so they didn't know that they were left out. So let's just pocket there. But there were 16 people to make ready for 25 people. Imagine how many people is involved in making it ready. So you can sit in chairs that's neatly lined up. The guy that unlocked the gates, the guy that will lock up the gate when we go, switch on the lights do the sound, do the overhead, clean out the building, make sure there's toilet paper in the toilet. In the toilet. You know, we forget these things as luck. And I want to say thank you to every one of you. Because it's you that make me able to stand here. Okay, so this morning, I want to speak on a hope and a future. So we have had beautiful sermons, powerful steak that's been served to us over this last couple of weeks. And the idea was, let's give hope to our people rather than just bring knocker steak because eventually it just goes sits around the middle and we go nothing, nowhere with it. So the picture there is one where most of us are in a situation in life. Each of us face something of the opposition of life that is against us, 
and we face it and we think, there's a chaiki daboe, I want to be there. And we actually miss that we're in this dark space for a reason. And I hope in the future, and in Christianity we know that God's come to save us, to give us a hope and a future. But we're so living for the hope in the future that actually we're missing the now. 2 Timothy 3 verse 5 says, having, and it speaks to, Paul speaking to Timothy and he speaks, and I'm just using that verse of scripture that says that, that we shouldn't have a form of godliness and deny, deny the power thereof. So this morning uh, in preparation, not this morning, this week in preparation, I just put out the message, say, guys, um, I just need testimonies of great things, fresh testimonies, I called it, at one response. And it's not a douche, but I think it's a thing where we're so on the ladder trying to get out that we're actually missing the testimonies of where we're at right now. We're so looking for up there, I must get there, then I'm going to be happy. I must, whatever, if I'm there, I'm going to be happy. That we forget to be happy right here. Because that's God, what God's put in us. Didn't God say that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, but he didn't walk in sadness. He walked in victory. Walked in joy. And that's for us. No matter my circumstances, Circumstance, no matter the. Am I the only guy that's battling with feedback here? Is it? Is it okay. So, no matter the, the issues that we're facing, it's, it's almost like my issue becomes bigger than the God that I serve. And God's actually saying, guys, get this thing in perspective. I am on the throne, I am victorious. And you. God has made every one of us victorious despite my circumstance. And I'm going way off my nose. So God's called us to be more, to have more, to not be self-focused in everything that we do. God's called you to be victorious in your circumstance. And the hope that I have is that I'm not going to be victorious one day. When I close these eyes, and I'm never going to open them again, that'll be final victory. But despite whether what happens to this preach, whether it's a good preach or a bad preach, I'm going to walk off here victorious because my king lives. Not my circumstance. And we so get involved in our circumstance of where we're at. Some of us are sitting with our jobs, and you're thinking... And there's people knocking at your door. And don't tell me I don't know because I had to sell two of my houses before because I've lost jobs. So I know what it feels like to walk out and think, yeah, Lord, this is not walking out in victory. I feel like I'm fleeing out of a situation. And God says you're walking out victoriously. It's not being defined by your circumstance. It's being defined by what God says of you. God says you are his boy and his girl and he loves every one of us dearly. So my second slide is a picture of me in my mind barely hanging on. Say, Lord, 
I know in, my, in tough times, I've said, God will never drop me, but those scratch marks down the side of the cliff, they mine. They mine. Because we feel like we're there. And most of us, end of the month, you're there. Your kids drive you nuts. You're there. I did not say my wife. You all heard me. <laughs> you know, I, when I walk into groups and, we, and people are talking, people are talking about, we used to have electricity, and now it's a phenomenon. We have potholes with tar around it, little bits of tar. They call it roads. We hear people speak about we used to live in luxury. That's when we had jobs. We hear people talking about wars, diseases, pestilence, earthquakes, famines. Actually, Jesus spoke about that way back already in Luke 21. Nothing new under the sun. And then there's your personal situation. And people are desperate because they're hanging there. And I found myself joining the conversation and actually also contributing to the negative talk. Because in my mind, I'm there. And I need to transition to the point to not where my situation tells me who I am and where I'm at, but let me talk to my situation and says, but I don't care where you're at. My God says, you are more than a conqueror. You are victorious in everything. That's what my God says about me. And it's time for me to talk to the situation. It says, God's given me a hope and a future, and I will proclaim it. I'll walk it. Even if it kills me, I'm going to walk it. And I'm going to walk victoriously. And then Peter comes in 1 Peter 4, verse 12, and I don't think I've got it. Oh, it's there. And he says this. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Don't tell me that when I'm a Christian, I'm not going to be tested. There's this teaching out there that says, all you need to do is get saved. I'm going to be a As you will see, as you will go, I'm going to be a Christian. Rather not become a Christian. Because he says this, as you, you have these fiery ordeals, as though something strange were happening to you. This looks funny. This looks funny. In slide three, I tried to get something together to show that there are many faces, but each of our faces, as our faces differ, there's somebody said once years ago, as our faces differ, so does our needs. And also, so does the situation that you're in. This was this lady at church that always used to speak when I talked to her and says, oh, in our situation, it's like she used to drive me nuts. Now I understand, I've also got a situation. And I realize I've never had a time when I never had a situation. Because every situation has a situation. You're always in some situation. Slide 4 says, every situation has a situation. And now I want to just say something. 
when I haven't got money, I'm rede- I think, okay, I'm got a, I've got a situation. I've got bad news for you. When you've got money, you also have a situation. You also test it in finance. Finance, test me. Lots of finance, no finance. Test me. When I'm healthy, I don't realize it, but I'm being tested. What am I doing with my life while I'm healthy? And suddenly, the doctor says to me, you're sick. Guess what? That's another test. I've got a good marriage. I'm being tested. You've got a bad marriage. Guess what? You're also being tested. Why is God using everything to test us? Because he wants to see what's in my heart. And the moment that he reveals what's in my heart, he says, okay, boyki, let's go deal with it because it's important for you to have a good heart so you can get into heaven and be with me forever. So God uses every opportunity to make sure that I am tested. And you know why I look so well? I've been tested lots. I'm passing some of them. And then you go around the mountain, you do them again, those of you don't pass. Romans 8.28. I always find courage in that verse of scripture. Because when it's going good, God says it's going to make all things work together for good. For those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Guess what God says when when it's going bad to you? Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work for good for those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. Your good and your bad are situations that God makes, makes work together for his good. Now, when I haven't got money, I feel I'm not blessed. And when I've got money, there's this thing, now you're blessed. I dare every one of us to just walk five kilometer radius and speak to people, and you'll find people that didn't go to bed with a full stomach of food last night, just in our community. And some of them say, Yo, yes, right, young. You're rich. You've got a house. You've got a car. You've got help. And you look at them and say, Yo, you happy? I'm not. See, happiness has got is no factor of what you've got and what you haven't got. It's a state of heart. It's what God says to me, says to us. Slide five says, Regardless, where's God when I need an answer? And I actually put that in myself. Because that is my saying. Where's God when I need him? Like I like need God to answer this question like now. Lord, where are you? I was looking for pictures that suit, so I decided those two might work. So in Jeremiah, the Israelites are find themselves in exile. And the reason for being in exile was because they didn't listen when they were living in the land of milk and honey. That God says, hey, you've got to change your life and live like I say you need to live. But being stubborn and knowing better than God, God eventually had to grab their attention. And they ended up in exile. And when I'm in exile, when God is testing me in my situation, it's like, you know, God's silent. 
It's like, Lord, speak. Lord, I need to hear you speak. Silence. Lord, speak. Silence. And I'm just going to be real about something. And I have asked God to forgive me because I was wrong. And I'm using this as an example of when how God likes pushes, squeezes on the heart and stuff pops up. And I said to Esna during this one silence spell of God, I said to her, you know what? All the prophetic types that we've got in this church, they run for the mic every Sunday morning because they've got something to say, but they haven't got something to say to me. When I need them to talk to me, doesn't happen. Now guys, I'm not criticizing you. It wasn't your fault. It's my fault. Because God pushed my heart and the claim to be junk at the You see, when we're in a situation, God takes every situation, even if it's silence from Him, to test my heart. Now I have to go back to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry. And repent. So, these guys don't hear what I'm not saying. It was me. Being so claim to get just a smidge out of line, just a smidge. The Israelites were taken captive, led to a land where there was no milk, no honey, and then I imagine the Israelites like being in captivity, being in exile crying out, Lord, why are you silent? Lord, speak. And then God speaks. And he sends Jeremiah. And this is what he says in verse 4 to 8 of Jeremiah 29. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the Lord of Israel, says to all those I carried out into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. I had a discussion with a lady some years ago. She says, God never puts you in a bad space. And she says to me, I've read through all the T3 material. You're wrong. You should read your Bible. And then in verse 5 it says, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have, son, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. And I'm thinking, oh, did I read this right? Did I just understand that God says you're going to be in this place for generations? More than one generation? Two generations? Actually, they were there for 70 years in exile. And then God says, prosper in your situation. Prosper in your situation. And I'm not speaking to one person and having a dig at you. This is to me. 
Ain't you all of us? Because in our situations, we want to bunker down, lock down, hide, not speak. And the next verse, it's like God's just carrying on. Lord, haven't you got an end to this? Please stop. And verse 7 says, also, just remember, God's now speaking to the person that's put you into the situation that you're in. Your boss fired you, and it was not your fault. Now you're losing your house. What does God say? Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Just no bloomer back. Pray for your leaders. Pray for the situation that you're in. Because if there's prosperity there, guess what's going to happen to you? This is what I believe God's saying to us as well. Some of us are just, for me, when I want to dinge swaar gaan, will ek betekent just go sit, be quiet, vind the hoekie, en lo wereld los my ek. There was an Afrikaans song that just pops into my mind. Um, it says something to the world, stop, I will afklim, I will move Something to that effect. I've had enough. I want to get off. And then in verse 11 and 12, God just carries on and he goes further. And I'm like, Jeremiah, shut up. Did you not listen? Don't you understand where I'm in? And then he says, for God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It doesn't say God's going to take me out of my situation. God says, I've got plans for you, despite your circumstances. Now I want to speak to the, just say something to the teenagers. Your time's not up. Your time's not up. Don't go and sit and think, I'm going on pension. I've worked hard. That'll stop. Aquarius. While the earth is spinning, you're on it. You've got a job to do. Let's get busy. Let's get busy. God's got a plan and a purpose for every one of us that while we're breathing. And you know what? God's plan and purpose for me continues even after the point where I've stopped breathing. Because His plan and purpose is for me to be with Him forever. It hasn't stopped. God hasn't got short-term binocular but vision in my life. Now I need to know where I'm at. What's the next slide, please? Stay the course. Stay the course. Matthew 14, from verse 13 to 21, we read about where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, twice he fed people, and I get confused with who, who feel that they are food. So, it just means that he fed twice, fed a lot of people. So, Abby did our 
catering for us in the, in the, while we were for the teenagers. And for those that missed it, you missed it. But if I had to ask for maybe, in a, I call him um, Abi, I think he's younger than I, just a year older maybe. But if I had to call Abi and I said to him, Abi, um, just for this group of people, just give them something to eat, please. Ah, no. As long as he's got five loaves of bread and two fish, it's like, Lord, who's going to watch and who's going to eat? There's 5,000 of us here. And just the problem is a little bit bigger than 5,000 because it says 5,000 men. That excludes women and children. So, Ian Kent, Ian Fro takes it to 15,000. It was no small group of people. And Lord, you want to feed 5,000 with five breads. And it's kleine breedjes, it's nie brood nie, en hulle het nie emmer gehad wat hy my saamgedraad nie, and two small fish. And the situation is this, God said to the, to, to the disciples, hey, let's go away for a breakaway. So they went to a place that was silent, quiet. 15,000 people suddenly decide that's the spot to be on holiday. We'll be there. And Jesus spoke for, 15, for three days. And after that, Jesus say, they, the disciple says to Jesus, Lord, these people had no gekos gehad. They're going to start fainting. And Lord, also water, the taps, taps ain't working. So we best send them back so they can get, get food. And God says to them, you feed them. So Lord, in our situation, we are 12 men and we eat a lot. We're going to squabble over five loaves of bread and two fishes, oh, by the way, you make 13. We also may die. God says to them, give me all you've got. I'm going to do a miracle. Give me all you've got. In your situation, or in the, in the what do you call it, the, the widow's situation, God looked at her and she came and she put in two copper coins. She gave him all she had. The rich people came and just like little, ugh, just, just coin something, it's not going to hurt me. Put in like a million, it's not going to hurt me. I'd love to be a rich man like that one day. When I'm big, one day, when I get to the top of that ladder, I'll be rich. I'm rich now. I'm rich now. And then after they fed the 5,000, God says to the disciples, and this is where stay the course. Guys, I want you to go down to the boat and get in the boat and go from here, this point here, to Bethany, which is that point there. So they go there. And the Bible says that in verse 48 that Jesus saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. In other words, it was stormy sea, wind was against them, and these oaks were battling to get from where God told them to start off to where they need to be. So now we've got options. I can turn around 
I see these airplanes, so um, we want to pass just around the storm, please, over it, round it, under it, so it goes, like, deviate. And when Jesus came back to them, he started walking on the water. Which direction do you think Jesus walked? Did he go crisscross, crisscross? There should be somewhere there. Where was that advert keep clicking your big George? Maybe in a thousand sea miles from here, we'll find him. And Jesus didn't do that. He started. He says, I told them to start here and to go to Bethany over there. They should be in line here. Despite the storm, God says, hold the course. Because when I come walking on the water, I'm going to find you on the course that I've put you. Hold your course. No matter your situa situation, hold your course. And then I think the next slide is to finish your test. You know that today it is possible that a couple of months, weeks, days, hours ago, you were on the ladder and you were looking out and you saw that little blue gap. You said, I want to be there. You know that that little blue gap could be your day today? But we're so looking for a blue gap that we're missing that today is the breakthrough that we were waiting for a week, two weeks, three weeks. And ask for testimony a fresh testimony we miss that we're actually walking in breakthrough. That we're walking in the breakthrough. We're walking in the blessing of God. If a child is at school for 12 years, assuming that he's not cramming it in 14 and 15 years into 12 years, and the child's in school for that, the child knows in grade 12, the last term, I'm going to write the test. And if I write the test and I pass, I'm going into the next season of my life. Who am I to come to this child and say, you don't have to write this test. I think you can stay at home. Don't deprive a person taking a test. Andrew said something beautiful to, to us a couple of weeks ago. And it just put something in mind for, and just let something sort it out. Lord, why are you quiet? Why are you quiet when I am going through a test? Andrew's answer, not to me, but he was preaching and he said, when you're in the classroom and you put your hand up, the teacher comes across to you and says, Hey, hang on, let me help you. You must, no, 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 that's wrong. Do it this way. Do it this way. Sorry. Do it that way. But then, when the teacher knows that you know your work, it's time for a test, then the teacher is not a teacher anymore. The teacher becomes an invigilator. A person that just watches over how people write the test. And I remember when, you, when my teacher walked past, looked at him, and he would just smile at me and walk past. Put your hand up. Because the teacher has got faith in you that he taught you well. And that he knows that you 
will pass your test. That's God. He's got faith in you. God's got faith in me that I will complete that which he started in me. And actually, God says, he will complete. I was so excited when I read that verse. I'm so sorry I ever read that verse. Because God says, on the next day, Lord, really? I'm going to complete something in you, son. You go through this. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Let's do it. It's going to be tough. Sometimes God says to me, we're busy. I'm busy just talking. God says, hey, Andre, batten down the hatches. You go to Esther and say, you hear him batten down the hatches. He says, oh. But we get to the other side and we have the better. God's shaping every one of us and he's not going to stop. This morning I want to ask you a question. The God that I speak about, do you know that God? Have you ever had the opportunity to meet him? Now, somebody says, um, do you know God? And I like to ask the question a little bit different. I want to ask you a question. Do you have a relationship with that God? I know a lot of women here, but I haven't got a relationship with him like I've got with my wife. And when I've got... Go to my house and I knock on the door. My wife says, hey, come in. She's glad to see me. Well, she's glad to see me. But when I knock on anybody else's door, she'll say, uh, my husband's not here, so come back later. That's a good response, by the way, ladies. When your husband's not there. I'm going to ask you a question. When you knock on heaven's door, is God going to say, hey, Andre, Hey, John. Hey, Sally. Whatever your name is. Come on. 